it's crazy. These stories, Yi and Sam's, are very different, right? Um, they grew up in different continents. They spoke different languages, had very different upbringing. But, um, you know, they were both walking on a path of life that, that maybe at times you never would have thought they would have gotten to this place today, right? They had made certain decisions. They had walked down certain roads. They had, um, had things that happened to them that weren't good, right? Their lives were headed down a certain path of destruction, of sin, of bitterness, of anger, of shame, of fear, right? But then at one moment, God intervened. At several moments, God intervened, and then everything began to change. Both had grown up in church their whole lives, but as you can see, that may not really matter that much, right? Because we can know a lot about God, but that's not the point. It's not about how much you know about God. It's how much you know him personally. What is your experience of his love? What is your measure of understanding his unconditional love? We can know everything there is to know about the Bible and church and Christianity, but do we actually know his love for us personally? Do we know it not at just, as just some Sunday school answer for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son? Like, I know we all say that, but do we actually experience that? Have we experienced what the love of God means for us personally? Or is it just an idea? Because we can know it in our minds, but it can do nothing for us. We could say that verse over and over, but it may do nothing for us. But the moment we experience that love, it changes everything. The moment we grasp that unconditional love and grace, it changes everything. It changes everything. It changes our stories. So the question I think that I want to ask us tonight is, what is your story? What is your story? You heard two stories up here, but what is yours? What is your story? Is it a story of tragedy and sadness and depression? A story of people betraying you, the people that you've trusted the most, letting you down? Is it a story full of discouragement and despair? Is it a story full of pain and trauma? Is it a story that actually isn't so bad? Kind of like you shared, he had a pretty good life for a while. Good parents, not perfect, but hey, a lot of good things happen. Nothing to really complain about. Are you content in that gray kind of happiness? Looking for something to excite you, something to fill you, something to satisfy you, but always coming out dry when you walk down certain roads? Whatever your story is, no matter how different it may be from Sam and Yee's, I want to say tonight that God... He wants to say something. He wants a line in our stories. And the reason each of us are here tonight is because God is saying, I want to rewrite some stories tonight. Okay? Um, You know, the way that we answer this question, what is my story? It changes everything. What is my story? The way that we start thinking about the past, the way we start thinking about that inner story, right? I'm a little bit weird. Um, like you said, he's not the only one that meets me and is like, what's wrong with this girl? You know, but people used to say that in a different way back then when I wasn't saved, okay? But um, one thing I like to do, I'm a very big nerd, okay? And I have aspirations to write books one day. But um, one thing that is very peculiar, I hear that other people don't do this, is um, I like to kind of have an inner narrative all the time. So like, so like, you know, I'm walking down the street, and then sometimes, not all the time, but I just hear, like, girl, take step down the street, and then opens door, and then, like, engages in, so, like, it's kind of like, I'm telling the story of my life, just because I want to write it in a book, or I want to compose something about, you know what I mean? Anyway, so, so that we're all telling stories, and it may not be as nerdy or obvious as my inner narrative, right? Rona walks down the street, but we all have a story. We all have this kind of tape recording, or I don't even know if you guys know what a tape is anymore. We have this playlist, okay? We have this iTunes playlist.
American. I grew up in this place. I had this experience. I had this thing happen to me. I'm this kind of person. I'm this and this and this and this and this. And we have this story and we have this idea of who we are. And we have this kind of narrative written, written out of our lives. And whether you know it or not, like whether you've sat down and written out this is my story, you know, I was born, and then my parents, you know, gave me a Christmas, like, whether you've actually written it out, there are certain themes that have carried over in your story, and there are certain truths that you've allowed yourself to believe, like, I'm a victim, I'm an orphan, I'm just a really lucky recipient of a lot of good events that have happened to me, right, compared to other people, I have it pretty good, like, there are certain narratives we've all written, right, And so the way that we answer that question, what's your story, what's your story, it changes everything. Because because when you begin to write a story, you follow certain themes. And you begin to repeat certain things over yourself over and over and over. And so if you've agreed with the story and the theme that you're a victim, that people aren't worth being trusted because they will always let you down, whatever you've agreed with in your story, that is going to define and shape what your story is going to look like in the future, right? And so the perspective we carry, it makes all the difference in the world. The perspective we carry makes all the difference in the world. And so today I'm going to share a little bit about my story, just as Yi and Sam shared. And I'm going to talk about also how our perspective, how our response, how our narrative, the way that we're composing our story, it needs to change if we really want to see our lives change as well, okay? So when people first meet me um, today, many times they come up to me and they're like, you know, Rona, you, I can just tell that you must have had the most loving parents. They must have just showered you with affirmation and love. And you must have had such a really healthy, healthy environment in school and a healthy church community and and all this stuff because you're just bubbling over with joy. Like you must have been like you must have been born into the church because you're so in love with Jesus. You're so free, right? And literally people have have asked me that because I used to be welcoming team leader at, at uh, new Philly, and I would meet a lot of new people when they came into the church, and they would all tell me that, like, they think I'm, I'm a very healthy, very pure, very free, very joyful person, right, when they first meet me, <laughs> and, and um, they, they just think that my life, where it is right now, it's because of what's happened to me in the past, because of the people and the situation and things I went through, it shaped me into the free and joyful person I am today, right? But I just kind of laugh to myself because that picture couldn't be farther from the truth, okay? And some of you have heard my testimony before. Some of you have heard my story before, but many of you have not. And that picture couldn't be farther from the truth. You know, sometimes when I get really discouraged uh, these days, like if I see my family who aren't Christian, or my friends, many of them who aren't Christian, or my disciples, and when I see them struggling in their faith or walking away from God and my heart really breaks for them, I'm just like, man, God, is everything I'm sowing in vain? Like, is it really making a difference? And I get so discouraged. Sometimes I wish I could magically meet myself six years ago. Because if I, could, if I could have a conversation with Rona of 18 years old, <laughs> like, I would never be discouraged about anyone ever again. Because if God could make me into this person from that person, I would never doubt his power in anyone's life. Because I was the most cold, standoffish, broken, hurt hard, angry person ever, okay? Like, I've never met anyone else that was as cold as I was back then, that was as lost as I was back then. And I've met a lot of people. So I guess a good place to start in my story is that um, my dad, he and my mom met, And he was already addicted to alcohol, and he was already a prisoner of lust. 
And so he met my mom, already having married twice. And he met my mom, and, and she began to feel sorry for him. And so they romantically got involved with one another. And he was still lost in alcoholism. And he was a very um, angry man. And so he had a lot of rage issues. So my mom got wrapped up into this relationship of addiction, of abuse from the very beginning. And so there was violence from the very start of their relationship, but they both weren't saved. And so this is just how things work in the world, right? And then one thing led to another, and she got pregnant with my big brother. And so they got married. And then they had me. And both of us, my brother and I, weren't expected, nor were we really wanted, okay? If you are not in a place of health, you don't really want children because... Children, it, cause, it, it causes you to give a lot of selfless love, a lot of dying to yourself. But if you don't have a healthy heart to start with, you're not in a place where you can really give love to anybody else, right? So my brother and I were born into a very hostile environment. I think I remember our youngest memories all of being afraid. If I can think of my earliest memories, every, every emotion would all be rooted in fear. Always afraid. Always afraid. My mom said even when I, before I could speak, I would be crying. But if my dad walked into the room, I would stop crying. Because even as a child, a, a kid who didn't even talk yet, I knew if I were to cry or make too much noise, it could cause havoc in the house because it could set my dad's temper off. And who knows what would happen. So it's better to just be quiet and be still and not be seen, right? My earliest memory earliest memories, all of just being cussed out, or seeing my mom getting beaten, or seeing my dad just belittle and tear down my brother. And I always knew that one, I was a mistake, and I need to make myself invisible. I hated the fact that I existed. I hated that I took up space. And when my dad walked into the room, I even tried to make myself breathe quieter so that I wouldn't make him mad, so that I wouldn't upset him again. I lived in fear all the time, and I, I began to write my story. My story was, I'm a mistake. I'm not worth being loved. It's better if I'm just invisible. They should have never had me. Sometimes I wish I could just die. I could just disappear from here. My dad um, was very addicted to alcohol, and so, you know, sometimes when he was, he was okay, he was like a dad, and I could talk to him and laugh, but then sometimes if he had, if he had drank too much, then um, we knew that things would get thrown around and people would be getting hurt, and so my brother and I just hid out a lot in our rooms or tried to play outside or tried to escape. There were moments when we'd come home from playing outside and he would be um, just holding my mom up by her hair and yelling at her and hitting her. And she would cry, you know, call the police, call the police. And my brother and I would just be caught in fear because we didn't know what to do. And we knew we needed to help our mom. So when we, when we snapped out of it, we started running to the phone and our dad said, if you touch the phone, you're next. And I remember that moment being one I knew I had failed my mom because she needed us, but I was too, too selfish and cared only about myself so I wouldn't help her. And it was my fault that she was hurt. And the story continued to be written. I'm a mistake. I always fail people. I'm so selfish. I'm not worth being loved. Even my own parents can abuse and treat me this way. So who could love me? The story was being written, and I was repeating that story to myself. And then soon I remember um, my dad, his job caused him to move us around a lot. I lived in a lot of different countries, a lot of different towns, and had, uh, we had a lot of different businesses. And soon, though, a lot of new tension formed in my mom and dad's relationship, and we found out that he was committing adultery on my mom continuously, 
continuously, continuously. And we would just be in our room, my brother and I, and hear them arguing and hear everything the argument was about and, and just wishing that it could stop and wishing that there was some place we could be safe. And I remember one day um, waking up and my dad said, say goodbye to your mom, you're never going to see her again. And basically he was, he was going to kick her out of the house. And so it was this crazy dramatic experience. And, and my mom, I think I was about eight, and she said, goodbye, kids. And she was just kicked out of the house in her nightgown and slippers. And, and in that moment, I thought, man, I don't have a mom anymore, you know. And li- everything I thought I could find safety or security in was just taken and shaken. And I had no place to go. On top of all of that, um, there were so many other dark and hidden things inside of my heart. So many fears that I had. I couldn't even talk to people. I was so afraid. Even when I was in, uh, like, maybe 12 or 13, I had to go up to a restaurant. And my mom was so tired of me um, not talking to people. She, she thought I had some type of disorder because I couldn't talk to strangers. I, was so, I had so much paranoia. And she told me to go up to the counter and order my own, I think it were at McDonald's, order my own burger. And I remember as a 12-year-old, okay, fully capable of speaking, I, I like started to have a panic attack. And I said, don't make me talk to those people, Mom. I can't talk to those people. Don't make me talk to those people. Like, I, I was that afraid of people that I couldn't even order my own hamburger, right? The story continued in my life. The story continued to be written. And then as I got um, older, I remember entering junior high, and, and um, I had so many fears and insecurities. I hated to be seen. I hated to be in front of people. I hated people's attention. I never wanted people to look at me because I was so disgusted with myself. But for some reason, I ended up on the cheerleading squad. And um, I mean, honestly, God used that. He turned it around for my good because I had to overcome a lot of fears in a negative way almost. But um, in, in America, cheerleaders wear short skirts, and they have pom-poms, and they do dances, and they say cheers um, at football games and basketball games to cheer on the team. They can be encouraged, right? So like, go, team, go, like that kind of stuff, okay? Um, and so you guys can YouTube it later. And so basically, the, the thing that happened was I got wrapped up into a whole new lifestyle, and soon all my friends began to change, and, and I started to go to parties. I started to drink alcohol. I started to smoke weed. I started to meet a lot of guys. And I began to find, wow, I can find some pleasure, some affirmation, some things that satisfy me in these areas. I can feel free. I can forget about all that crap at home, all the drama, all the pain, all the stuff in my heart, and I could just get wasted and forget about it all, and then I don't have to deal with it anymore, and it's awesome, okay? Or I could just get high off my butt, and then, hey, like, I don't have to feel pain, and then everything is just a good time, and there's so much to laugh about. Or, hey, I could just play these games, hook up with this guy, get this guy's attention, and it, maybe this one, maybe if he affirms me, maybe if I can get him, I'll finally feel good about myself. I'll finally feel loved, Finally, if I could just get this next guy. But unfortunately, um, there's always the morning after. The morning where your head is throbbing and you're puking out your guts and you realize this doesn't really satisfy and this isn't really all it's cracked up to be. And I'm waking up and the pain is still there. The problems are still there. And I still feel this feeling of emptiness and loss. And the story still isn't changed. Actually, the story is getting worse. The story is getting much worse by all these decisions I'm making. Wow, now I'm in a relationship with this really great guy who sells drugs and, and um, I met at a party. This is wonderful, okay? Look at the great person I'm in a relationship with, okay? Like, the story never got better. And so even though temporarily it seemed to ease the pain or fix things, it didn't really change. And so I got kind of tired of that fast, and then I began to really invest myself in my studies. Wow, I study really well. I write really well. Hey, I'm going to just be the best and devote myself to my studies. 
what happened was I became president of all these organizations, captain of my cheerleading squad. Uh, I graduated third in my class in high school and got a full ride to university. But at the end of the day, all the straight A's, all the affirmations, all the honorable things, like that really didn't satisfy me either. And the overachieving and the significance and the, the accolades and people's applause and their high opinion of me, it felt really good in the moment. But the next day I still woke up and that feeling of brokenness and pain, emptiness was still there. Something was still missing. Something was still missing. And the story continued. And I went to college. Before I went to college, um, I think this is a very important point. Um, my mom began to get extremely ill my junior year of high school. And um, I think my sophomore year, my mom and dad finally got a divorce. And it was a long time coming because they were never really happy anyway. And we were very relieved because we didn't have to deal with him in the house. So um, they got a divorce, and then my mom became a single parent, right? So she was the one who was earning the money and taking care of us. So we definitely, our, our income level changed. We moved into a very, very small house, had to rent it out. And living by paycheck, from paycheck to paycheck, my brother and I, we both worked. I had a job since I was in eighth grade. I worked as a dishwasher in a Chinese restaurant, and this lady who I worked with, she was like my second mom, and then I worked at a pizza place, at a wilderness resort, as a bar attendant, as a hostess, as a server, as a, like, I had so many jobs, but we worked to help kind of take care of ourselves. I think around eighth grade when I got a job is when my mom stopped supporting me, so that's when I bought my own clothes, shampoo, everything, right? And then, um, so, like, my mom was trying her best, and then junior year, she began to get very sick. So she barely got jobs because she's a Korean living in Arkansas. So, like, you know, language ability and, like, doesn't have a college degree. But she couldn't even go to work because she was, kept getting so sick. And then she went to the doctor. But what happened was the doctors, they couldn't diagnose what was wrong with her. They kept saying, you're just depressed. Here's some Xanax. Start exercising and making friends, and your life will get better, okay? And so she tried that, but it didn't really help. And every day she'd go to work, and she would, she would come right back home crying and say, Rona, you have to help me. I'm so sick, I can't go. And I would tell her, Mom, you just got to go to work. You got to go to work. And I'd wake up, wake her up in the morning before school. I'd cook her breakfast, try to send her to work. No matter what I did, she would always come back sick, and then what happened was, um, finally she went to a doctor right before my senior year of high school started. They did a CAT scan on her brain, and they found an aneurysm on the verge of rupturing. And an aneurysm is basically like a blood clot. And most people, they die because there's no symptoms. And once you die, when they look at your body, they find, oh, this person died from a brain aneurysm. And so the fact that my mom had headaches and had symptoms it helped a lot so that we could find it because most people don't find it. They said she had a brain aneurysm on the verge of rupturing and she needed to be rushed into the emergency room for immediate brain surgery, okay? They had to cut open her brain and fix this and then sew her back together. She had a 60% chance of survival and we don't have insurance because her job was just very temporary and brain surgery is very expensive. And so I remember sitting in the emergency room the first day of senior year knowing that my life was about to change and I didn't know if my mom would live or die or if she would be fully functional after she got out of surgery if she did live. But I knew that things were going to change. We couldn't afford our house. I don't know. I didn't know what we were going to do. But she came out of surgery and um, what happened was my dad, he had recently gotten remarried to a woman who was a couple years older than me, so in her early 20s. And she was from, like, some Eastern European country. And um, basically, he, had, he owned, he was a ship inspector. So my dad was actually very wealthy. And he um, basically owned properties in the same town I went to school. And so he said, you know, hey, like, you guys can rent out this house um, until you get back on your feet. I know it's been rough for you guys, right? Um, so kind of him. And then he... Um, and he told us that, and then, but then he called back later and said, never mind, my new wife isn't comfortable with me helping you guys out. So, um, you know, fend for yourself. 
And we were homeless. We lost our house until my mom's poorest friends took us in. Um, she, my mom's poorest friends lived about a mile on a dirt road, down a dirt road. They had no, um, sometimes the water didn't work correctly because the wells broke and the pipes broke. And I had to share a room with this girl. They lived in this three-bedroom trailer. And um, it was absolute hell. It was so, that year was so difficult because I came home to a mom who was, was so sick, unable to get out of bed. I had um, this perfect life at school of top grades, all the awesome friends, popularity, um, invited to all the parties. I had this almost full-time job I was working, and I had to, you know, the boyfriend and all that stuff. And then when I come home, my life was in ruins. We don't even have a house anymore. And I just remember everything just crushing down on me. And I had so many panic attacks that year because I couldn't, I couldn't handle everything. And I, I remember at some point, I stopped feeling emotion. I stopped feeling happy. I stopped feeling sad. I think my grandma passed away that year, and my mom was crying, and I tried to cry, but I couldn't because I didn't feel any sympathy. I didn't feel any sadness. Like, I, I remember thinking, it's good that she died. She doesn't have to live in this world anymore. Like, good for her, you know? Like, that is how, how, um, how Rona really thought back then. And so the story continued. Um, I remember one um, evening that senior year, my dad wanted to hang out with his kids, so he invited me and my brother Will out to hang out with him and his new wife. And we were eating dinner, and my mom was sick at home, and I had to look at this woman, and, and, and I just was so confused and angry I remember I had this boyfriend that I didn't even like very much, that I, but I had given my heart away to, and I was cheating on him. I remember I, there, everything in my life, everywhere I looked, it was so jacked up. And I, I just thought, this is horrible. Like, I, I don't want to live this kind of life anymore. And that was my story. That was my story. Okay? The person you see in front of you today, that's where I come from. That's the reality. Those are the facts, okay? Everything in my life was messed up and broken. And I think in that season of my life, if someone like one of you, one of the Emmaus staff, would have come up to me and said, God is good and he loves you and, oh, my gosh, like he can set you free, I think I would have, like, severely injured them (laughs) or been like, get out of my face. Like, don't, like, save your breath. I don't want to hear anything you have to say. Like, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. I don't want anything that you have. It's not true. I know reality. I know the way the world works, and I've been taking care of myself, and you have no idea what you're talking about. I would have been the coldest person to one of us smiling, joy-filled Christians, okay? Um, and then I remember I went to college. I um, got a full ride because of my academic achievements, but I still had to pay for, you know, room and board and books, so I had to take out student loans, and I also had to work a part-time job, and that was no big deal because I was used to taking care of myself, but it wasn't easy putting myself through college, and I had a single-parent mom who was just recovering, so of course she couldn't help me, um, but I remember one, the day I, like, one day in my freshman year, I walked onto campus, <clears throat> and I saw a familiar face, but I didn't quite remember how I knew this person. And then I looked again, and it was my dad's new wife. I found out that he had enrolled her in the same college I was going to, and he was paying her entire way through college. And I just remember thinking, what the heck? <laughs> what the heck? Like, seriously. What is this world? And, like, I do not want to be here. And I can't believe I see this woman at my college. Like, what the heck is going on? And all that was in my heart was anger and pain and bitterness and hatred. And I vowed to never speak to him or ever forgive him or ever, ever let myself be vulnerable again. Ever. Um... And I remember that 
by this time, that time in my freshman year of college, I had a very full story, a very full narrative. And if someone would have asked, what's your story? It would have went something like this, okay? Story time with Rona. No one cares about me. No one is looking out for me. No one will take care of me. And if I want anything in life, if I want security, safety, a house, or food, love, or a good future, I've got to make it happen for myself. People, even the most close ones and the ones you love the most, will always hurt you. Always. So you cannot trust anyone. Ever. Only yourself. And if you want anything out of life, you've got to work for it. Nobody will ever help you. And by the way, everything bad that happened to you, you deserve it. P.S. You're not worthy of being loved for who you are. That's why even your own parents can abandon and abuse you. Don't expect anyone to truly love you for who you are. This is life. Get your facts straight. And that would have been my story, okay? And I guess if you would have looked at the natural progression of things, someone with that type of wonderful emotional and mental health probably would have had a great life, right? That was my story. And so I guess I was headed in certain directions. Probably, though, no one would have guessed I would be standing here doing what I'm doing today, though, right? But my academic achievements led me on exchange to Yonsei University my sophomore year. And I had just professed my love to my longtime ex-boyfriend who I cheated on, but we were getting back together. And it was this dramatic separation because I was going to Korea. And then we wrote each other love letters. And then um, he was dating someone else but said, like, <laughs> we were like, if we're both 25 and single, like, let's make this happen, okay? Like, we, you're always going to be my first love and all this stuff. It was so, so bad. And then um, and I came to Yonsei, um, 19 years old, spring 2008 went to exchange student orientation, saw a, a Korean-American campus director like myself, and he invited me out to dinner with all of the other students for this Christian fellowship. And I thought, well, they speak English, and they're not too weird, so I'll go. And I'm hungry. And then he said, I'm going to, I'm going to buy you dinner, Rona. And I began to argue with him. And I'm, I said, you're not going to buy me anything. And he said, I'm going to buy you dinner. And I said, no, you're not. And he said, I'm going to buy you dinner. <laughs> and I was like, no, you're not. <laughs> and then people started looking. And I'm the most stubborn person I know. But this man had the audacity to be even more stubborn and hard-headed than me. And he said, I'm going to buy you dinner. And you're going to like it. Just receive it, OK? And then I was like, I was so angry. <laughs> I didn't know what to say, but, but the rest of the night, I was ticked off, and I went home confused, and I kept thinking, what does this guy want? I'm not going to stick around. I'm not going to serve his ministry. I'm not going to, whatever he thinks he's going to get, whatever he wanted, because he bought me dinner, he's not going to get it. I don't, I don't know. What, but I was so confused. Why would someone just hand me something for free? Why would someone just love me for no reason? I just met this person. I didn't do anything for them. Why would they just give it to me, Right? Why would he want to buy me dinner? There has to be a trick. And then, uh, a couple weeks after that, they, we had an Emmaus retreat. And I don't know how I ended up there. But I went there, and I remember there was a prayer time, and I don't know what he was really talking. He talked about Holy Spirit, kind of like Sam and Yi were sharing Holy Spirit moving and feeling and loving and blah, 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 blah. And then I was just like, okay, I've never experienced any of this, and I don't know what you're talking about. He's like, close your eyes and pray. And I was like, close my eyes and pray. And if you're there, God, I don't want you to call me, do anything to me, touch me, or make a scene. So if you're real, then that's my prayer, okay? And then he said, Ronabab, come to the front. And then I was like, ah, oh, crap. Because, you know, I hated, being, I hated being in front of people. I hated being seen. And so that was the worst thing that could ever happen to me. And then he invited, he called some other students up there. And then he began to lay his hands on us. And as soon as he laid his hand on me, 
I dropped to my knees and had a vision. Okay? I didn't know that visions were real. I didn't know people could have visions. I thought that was all in sci-fi or imaginary stories. And I had a vision, and I began to see the narrative of my life, the story, not in words, but in like a movie, okay? Scene by scene by scene, like the scenes I kind of told you. The abuse, my dad beating us, my dad cussing, the, the alcoholic rages, the promiscuity, the drugs, the alcohol, the decisions I had made, all the horrible things done to me and the horrible things I did to other people, and um, even suppressed memories, things that I had not even processed in my mind that were buried so deep inside me. Like um, one of them was childhood sexual sins I had committed. And these things began to come up out of me, and I began to get so confused because I started to start, I started weeping. I started to shake and cry, and all that pain from all those events, it like, it crushed me in one moment, and I felt all this grief for what had happened to me. It's like I was watching what had been done to me all my life, and it was like I was feeling all the emotions that I couldn't feel for the longest time, and I didn't really understand it then, but I felt like God was saying something to me in the midst of all of that. Rona, I want to set you free from all this. Rona, I want to love you fully. Rona, I want to make you safe. Rona, I want to heal you. Rona, I want to set you free. This stuff, it doesn't belong to you. I want to heal you from everything. And that is when I encountered the love of God. It wasn't when someone preached at me about it. It wasn't by knowing everything there was to know about Christianity, but it's when he encountered me in a way only he could. And he said, my love has everything to do with your story. My love can change your story. I want to rewrite the story of your life. I want it to look different, Rona. <clears throat> everything began to change after that retreat. I went up to that campus director, his name is Pastor Christian Lee, and he's the pastor of New Philly Church, and I told him all the stuff, all the shame, all the sins, all the things I had done and that had been done to me, and he looked at me and said, Rona, God has separated you as far as the east is from the west from your sin. He doesn't hold that against you. His love covers you. You're pure. You're white as snow. God's love can heal you. And everything began to change about my story. I began to open up to the community here at Emmaus and at New Philly, and people began to love me unconditionally. No matter what I did or said, if I was a jerk and manipulative or I was crying all the time because I was getting healed, no matter what, people kept loving me unconditionally, and they wouldn't let me get away. They wouldn't let me just run away and isolate myself and try to do my own thing like I had done my whole life because they loved me too much. They loved me too much, and so they pursued me with the love of God. And I began to see that the love of God, it can't be isolated apart from the community of God. And then I began to, um, I began to get set on fire by the Holy Spirit, like they described earlier. I began to just feel this boldness and this fire and this zeal that I never had in my life before. And all the fears and pain and anger and the insecurities I had, it just washed away. And then soon I was hugging people and touching people and laughing and crying all the time and dancing. And then I just, I looked like a completely different person. And it's like, I didn't live until that semester. I had been alive but I was kind of like a zombie. And when I met God and was filled with his spirit, it's like that's when I was really born. That's when I came to life. That's when I first felt love. It's like when I first took my first breath, that's when life started for me. And so people are like, oh, you love so much. It's so intense. And I'm like, well, try not ever receiving or giving love for 19 years. And then all of a sudden you're rushed with the love of God. You know, it's, it's crazy what God can do in a minute in an instant. But I only had one semester here, and I went home to my university, to my old group of friends that I used to club and party with, and, and everything was the same in the natural, but then soon 
everything looked different. Because I was changed and set free, everything began to change. Where I only knew superficial relationships and, and manipulation and mind games and all that stuff, and, and that no one really understood me, I began to have rich and deep and meaningful friendships where people knew my heart and I knew theirs. Where I was so broken and lost and empty, it was like life was just flowing out of me and I couldn't help but minister. Nobody had to tell me to sign up or serve because I wanted to. I was plugged into this source of love and I couldn't help but it flow out of me because God's love was that good. And soon people around me, without me even trying, were asking me to lead them to Christ. Hey, I want to know this Jesus that you know. What do you have? It's like, it's like because rivers were flowing out of my life, people recognized that they were thirsty for the first time, and they wanted some of the water, right? My life began to change drastically. I started getting asked to speak in front of different organizations and my sorority and churches and to share my testimony, and, and it was crazy because I never wanted to be in front of people. I had so much fear of them. But God began to rewrite my story. The story wasn't the same as it used to be. And then I began to get calls, callings from the Lord to the missionary field, to all this stuff. And in one mission trip I went to in college, um, my campus ministry led us to Thailand, where my dad happened to be living with a prostitute on drugs and alcohol. Once that girl graduated, she divorced him, by the way. And then he was in Thailand and very, very sick. His health was deteriorating, and it was my um, senior year of college. And I went on missions, and I separated from the team for just that one night so I could meet up with my dad for the first time since senior year of high school. I had, I had decided not to speak to him ever again. But once I encountered Jesus, God began to rewrite that story too. Rona, you've been forgiven. Rona, you've been forgiven. Rona, my grace covers you. You can't withhold that forgiveness from anyone, you know. And I decided to forgive my dad, not because what he did was okay, but because God has forgiven me. And I met with him, and I told him, and I spoke with him face to face, and it was the first time I ever spoke to him, and I wasn't terrified. It was the first time I spoke to him in freedom. First time I spoke to him not in fear. And I said, Dad, all the stuff that happened to me, the abuse, all of that, it scarred me, and it really hurt me, but I want you to know that I'm okay now. I met the Lord, and he changed everything. And I want you to know that I don't hold anything against you. I'm sorry for hurting you. I'm sorry for not honoring you. I'm sorry for not talking to you these past few years. And I want you to know I forgive you for everything. And I want to ask for your forgiveness. And I want you to know I love you, and I want what's best for you. I want you to be blessed by God. And he kind of, you know, shook it off and acted like it was nothing. But that wasn't what I was looking for. What I was looking for was to reveal the heart of God to my dad. Because I was full. I didn't need my dad to tell me that I was worth being loved. Because I knew it with certainty. Because my story was being changed. It was being rewritten. And then um, I graduated and felt called to come to Korea. Um, And one thing led to another. um, And... I got wrapped up in campus ministry, which was never on the radar, never in the story. I was writing for myself as an on-fire Christian minister. And a year after I arrived, I was called to full-time ministry, so to give up my job and start doing this. And then what happened was um, the, the, the time I started full-time ministry, my dad passed away. And um, I began to learn how to grieve alongside Jesus. I began to learn how to walk with the Lord, even through very difficult situations. And one thing, guys, that I I guess I want to communicate tonight is that the Lord, when we come in contact with the risen Jesus, our stories begin to get rewritten. And I'm not saying that Christianity, it means that life is easy or that there's no suffering, or that once you accept Jesus or you're set on fire, there's no adversity, there's no suffering, there's no hard things. That's a lie. Hard things happen. Difficult situations happen. Death happens, right? But when you know the Lord and you know his love, you go through those things and it's completely different. The story is still written 
And the theme is grace and love and abundance and richness in him. It's not victim, orphan, abandoned, abuse, right? What we go through doesn't define us. It's how we respond and perceive and interpret what we go through. And so the way that we are writing the stories of our lives, it matters. Because if you look at the facts of my life, you weigh together the things that happened to me and the life I was headed towards, it makes no sense that I would be standing here today doing what I'm doing. It makes no sense that I would be talking about a good and gracious and loving and caring God coming from the past that I did because it wasn't full of good, caring love, right? But if I were to tell you a story and tell you that I'm an orphan, that I'm depressed, that I'm in despair, I wouldn't be telling you the truth. Those are the facts, but it's not what's true. That's not my story. It's completely opposite of my story, right? <laughs> because the truth is, guys, God has rewritten my story. And I want you to open up your Bibles quickly to Psalm 40. And the story that I want to tell you guys in closing is this Psalm, okay? Psalm 40. <clears throat> And I'm going to read it out loud for us. Psalm 40. And if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Just look over the shoulder of your neighbor. Get all up in their personal space. All right, I'm going to read. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips. As you know, Lord, I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. And David continues to go on talking about the goodness of God and who he is. And one part of this, this psalm that I love is David starts off in an ash heap, in a miry bog, in the miry clay, where he's sinking deep, deep down. And no matter what he does, he keeps sinking further and further down. And that was his story. But it says that God lifted him out of the miry clay and set his feet on rock. And he can walk securely and safely. And God poured out his steadfast love on David. And he put a new song in David's mouth. And you can implant exchange song for story. He put a new story in my mouth. God took my story and he put a new story in my mouth. A story of praise to our God. And when I tell the story of what you've done, many will see and put their trust in you, God, because you are powerful. You are good. You loved first. You loved perfectly. Therefore, my story is different. You know, our God, what he did on the cross, what he overcame in his resurrection, it has everything to do with our stories. And maybe each of us have encountered Jesus. Maybe we've accepted him into our hearts. Maybe we've attended church our whole life. Or maybe we don't. Maybe we have a different religion or no religion. But I don't care about any of those different things. What I care about is, do you know this God? 
Do you know this God that can exchange a story of, of despair and brokenness, who can turn an orphan into a dearly loved son, who can trade our mourning for gladness and rejoicing, who can take our bondage and give us freedom? Do you know the God that encountered ye and made him completely different? The God that led him to mourn through his grandma's passing, but he could stay confidently in Korea and say, Jesus, you're worth it, and I know that everything's going to be okay. I can forgive my dad because I have no lack. Do you know the God that, that healed Sam Kill whenever he was broken and lost, lost in the worldliness, lost in that pain, and he was full of shame, the God that healed him and brought him to a place of renewal where he could stand before God and say, I know that you love me, God. I know that I lack no good thing. Do you know this God? Because if you have a story that you don't like, if you have a story that you want to change, if you have a story and you're tired of walking down that story, you're tired of hearing that story, you're tired of going along the motions of that story, what God has done on the cross, it has everything to do with how that story can change. He can rewrite the most tragic of stories. He can rewrite the most lukewarmth of stories. The most desperate of stories, he can exchange it for a life of joy, a life that truly satisfies in him. He wants to rewrite all of our stories. And I want to spend a couple minutes praying. And I really believe that tonight, God wants to begin the rewriting of our stories, the rewriting of that narrative just like he did for ye and Sam and me, it's not just for a few of us. Jesus died on the cross. What he has done, it's for all of us. It's for all of us. And if you're here in this room, maybe you saw a flyer or got an invite, but what I know for certain is that you're here because the Lord wants to rewrite your story. You're here because he loves you. You're here because he drew you to him. You're here because he knew each day of your life. It was written in his book, and he said, I want to encounter and set my sons and my daughters free. I want to rewrite their story. I want to make all things new. I want to renew their lives. I want to rewrite their stories.